The Annex Wealth Management Show on 92.5 Fox News is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation. Know the difference. Now, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 92.5 Fox News. Jackson Hole, NVIDIA, and how's the consumer doing? Welcome, it's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. I'm Danny Clayton. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer, is here. Dave Spano, President and CEO. Thank you, Danny. You know, we had a lot going on this week. And as you mentioned, Danny, Jackson Hole was part of the conversation. And folks, every year, folks get together to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and they talk about what they think is going to happen. But most importantly, Jerome Powell, Chair of the Federal Reserve, was there, and he did make a speech afterwards which had market-moving events. Well, it, it did. I think there are a lot of investors who were sitting on the sidelines waiting for him to speak on Friday because they didn't want to get blindsided. And while what he said was somewhat uneventful in terms of telling us anything new, he did mention, which I thought was important, that he recognized that owner-equivalent rent, which has been stubborn, it's been persistent right. in the elevation of the CPI, he understands that that's going to lag housing prices. So I felt that that was a good comment on his part. The other thing he said... Is and, and implied is that there's really a division now on the Fed about whether additional rate hikes are necessary. It's going to be data dependent, as you and I have said for years, uh, and that and we'll see how that goes. And basically, uh, my take on it is the Fed is still a headwind. Interest rates are going to remain high for longer than we thought, and that's going to filter through the system. And we are on watch for a credit event. Yeah, I think you you nailed it. That was a lot that you just said right there. But you know, trillions and trillions of dollars of monetary and fiscal stimulus went into the economy post-COVID, and then they followed that up by the most aggressive monetary tightening in decades. And really, that's what we're looking for right now. What effect does that have? And you know, the target of, of the Federal Reserve is 2%. Are they going to get back there? We'll have to see. But you pointed out a really good point. Even though it's trending in the right direction, it's still going to be above their targets, most economists believe, until 2025. That's a ways to go. That's right. And and there are certain things in the inflationary outlook that can change rather suddenly. We know energy prices have the ability to spike higher. We know inventories that are very low levels. Uh, we know China's growth is currently slow. There are real estate problems there. But at any time, the Chinese authorities could announce some sort of fiscal stimulus bill, which would uh, reinvigorate animal spirits. Right. So the inflation fight is far from over. But I guess the way I look at it is you'd much rather have the Fed be accommodative and at your back than in your face. So that's why we've taken a somewhat cautious view in terms of having a broadly diversified portfolio. We're not standing out over our skis. We're fairly balanced in our approach between international and U.S. equities. And in fixed income, we're still uh, shorter duration as a whole. So let's talk about interest rates because it has an effect. You know, you people use the 10-year to price so many things. And uh, in folks in your own portfolios, that is how you value stocks and bonds, as Derek pointed out. But look at this. Mortgage rates are now at 7.5% on a 30-year mortgage, something we haven't seen in decades. And that's one of the 
the ways that we, when we talked about inflation coming and what the Federal Reserve was doing and monetary policy that it was going to push up interest rates, this is a dramatic effect because when you get mortgage rates higher, that is a pressure on people's pocketbooks. Yeah, and, and a lot of it is an echo effect of COVID. If you think about it, during during the COVID thing and when interest rates were at zero, everyone went out and refinanced their mortgage at less than 3%. So now with mortgage rates at 7 unless you've got the, the money on hand to do an all-cash deal, you're talking about giving up an incredibly attractive mortgage rate for something significantly higher in order to move. So people are choosing not to, which is one of the reasons why tactically remodeling stocks and home builders and the rest have, have performed quite well, despite the fact that rates have been rising. You know, the other thing that you did talk about is, you know, not getting over your skis using that anecdotal expression, but you look at valuations and right now valuations are full in lots of measurements. In fact, you can argue that they're past their full capacity in lots of measurements. And that is when you talk about not getting over your skis, that's really what you mean. Right. In 2023, at the beginning of the year, the estimate for the S&P was $245. Guess what? It's going to be $220. And now the estimate for 2024 is, guess what? $245. So let's say 220 is the more likely number, which is 10% below what the forecasts are. At that valuation, we are currently trading at about 20 times earnings, which essentially is a 5% uh, earnings yield, which is roughly equivalent to what you can get for a three or six month treasury bill. So if you're a little concerned like we are that there's a possibility of a credit event, cash is not trash. That's funny. In cash, of course, you can get paid on folks. You know, 5% is really good to sit on the, on the sideline and not take a lot of risk. But then again, and lastly, I want to do want to talk about this one last piece is fixed income. You know, fixed income or bonds have not done well lately, but that doesn't mean it's not an opportunity set. Oh, absolutely not. In fact, they're the, they're primarily a cushion for your portfolio. That did not happen in 2022 when the Fed was aggressively raising rates. But if we're right and there is a credit event out there, when it occurs, long-term rates will go down and they'll go down sharply. And given the duration of 10-year treasuries and 20-year treasuries, the price appreciation one can enjoy there is pretty substantial. So we've been gradually adding duration in our fixed income portfolios. Dirk Felsky, our Chief Investment Officer, Dave Spano, our President and CEO. Stick around. We've got more to come. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. That's what we do, and we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Take a lap on our website. We've got a lot of great information. We've got a thing called the Know the Difference Checklist because there's a significant difference between financial advisors. AnnexWealth.com. Click on that Get Started button. That is our Week in Review, always available as a podcast and delivered Sundays in our Axiom newsletter. Sunday, August 27th, Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Going to be right back. 92.5 Fox News. Headlines, texts, emails, the TV, the computer, the phone, even your smartwatch. Every day, market volatility can lead to anxiety and planning paralysis. No surprise, Americans report being stressed about their investment and retirement plans. Turn down the media roar. Dial up the planning. Put Annex Wealth Management on your side for investment and retirement guidance that includes tax and estate planning. Head to AnnexWealth.com. Click the Get Started button. Know the difference with a fee-only fiduciary. That's Annex Wealth Management. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Busy show today. Let's get to it. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer, is here. Dave Spano is our president and CEO. You know, Danny, when, when Chat GPT first came out, you were the first guy to talk to me about that. And we came in here and we started, you know, maybe. We had a year some ago. fun with it. We did. We put some names and we might have put even your name in on it. But uh, it has certainly been the talk for the last 
uh, nine months or so. And one of the plays that has been out there in that particular name has been NVIDIA. And NVIDIA has been a stock, folks, that has gone like 4 or 5x uh, so far this year. They came out and their earnings were bizarrely good, Derek. Oh, they were, they were fantastic. Uh, they beat on the revenue line by 20%. Uh, the earnings line by 30%. They even added a stock buyback, which is astonishing to me, given that it trades at over 20 times revenues. But they are what you typically see at the beginning of major transformation in the technology space, and that is a company that provides the picks and shovels. So as more and more companies try to incorporate AI in their business practices, as Microsoft and Google and the rest leverage that up, uh, that leads to sales. And right now, NVIDIA can basically charge whatever they want for those chips. Their margins are more than almost twice what Intel's are, and they, they essentially are going to get away with this for, se- for quite a while because there's no competitor as of yet. Let's go back into the history machine. And I remember back in the late 1990s when you, my friend, were a manager of a tech fund. You know, back when 1999 into 2000 wasn't the greatest place to be, but you were there. Do you see any similarities between what's happening then and now? Well, I can certainly think about Cisco Systems, which I think I had about a 10% weighting in in the portfolio, and it was trading at a similar multiple as NVIDIA. And again, they had first mover advantage. They were ahead of the curve. They, they were helping companies get on the internet, internet, right? And over time, more and more competition showed up, Juniper Networks and so on. And eventually, Cisco became dead money, a dead money stock. In fact, it still has not eclipsed its highs from 1999 to this date, even know it has made a ton of money since. And so the question I'm asking you, do you think it's this craziness that's happening with some of these AI stocks that happened before we had the bust in, in March of 2000? Um, I think uh, NVIDIA is a stock that I would probably want to own, but I wouldn't want to be over my skis, as I mentioned earlier. I I think it is a great company. They're going to do very well in the coming months. But anytime you pay more than 20 times revenues for a company, you you have to make heroic assumptions to justify the valuation. Let's shift uh, topics and go to the retailers. And right now, the consumer is still doing well because we're functionally at full employment at the numbers that we are in. And so the consumers are still doing well, despite the fact that some of the consumer debt is up. So um, we're looking at the retail stocks right now, and a lot of those companies reported recently. Yeah, I want to address a couple of things you just said there. So, for example, in the case of the consumer and debt, Households have the most liquidity they've ever had by a factor of three. So and yes, how, how did that come? But how did from, that come from the pandemic, right. from COVID, from you know payments, from not spending, from staying at home? So cash on the sidelines is enormous in the case of households. So while consumer debt is going up as a percentage of consumer cash, it really is not a, at a dangerous level. That being said, many of the retailers that have reported in the last couple of weeks have basically beaten numbers by cutting costs. Revenues have actually been down, and as Todd Voice likes to point out on a real on a real rate they're actually negative right because the number of units has gone down it's inflation that's keeping it elevated so consumers are getting a little tired in certain areas but like everything else in our consumer oriented society there are some winners like cruise lines and airplanes and travel locations and the rest as people shift their spending preferences and that's exactly right instead of buying on stuff they're buying on services and events and that's exactly what's happening cruise stocks have gone up substantially you know right up there with some of these ai names so that's something to pay attention to you know are they fully valued at this point you know key observations when you're talking about staying with your plan is really an interesting wrap-up yeah i mean I, I looked at some data that one of our third-party providers showed and when what what it said over the s&p since t- 
1928, the more years you hold stocks, the higher the likelihood is you make money. For example, if you hold stocks sequentially for two years, the odds are, are 82% you'll make money. But if you hold them for 10, it's closer to 95. And that's why we always encourage people not to read the headlines, certainly not with a political bias, because the headlines will lead you astray. You want to have a plan, you want to have an asset allocation that makes sense, and you want to have dry powder in the event that something happens that's unforeseen in order to capitalize and on I it. And I will tell you, Derek, every day we get sophisticated folks coming in, we get everyday people coming in, and we go through those portfolios and say, are you aligned for what's happening today? You know, we've got a political environment, we've got the Fed changing course, there's a lot of stuff going on. That is the reason why you've got to go through that portfolio and make sure you're aligned. Today, we can get that done, we can help you with it, and we do this on a daily basis, Danny. When you were running that tech fund, was that a was that a really tough time in your life? It, it was, in a sense, because we, we launched it January 1st of 2000, after one of the best years for the NASDAQ in history, and I think the fund at one point was up 40% in the middle of February, and by the middle of March was actually down. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Again, if we can help, AnnexWealth.com. Folks, how does financial and retirement work for couples with significant age gaps? It's not impossible, but it takes a good team. We're going to cover that after a break on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. At Annex Wealth Management, we believe every portfolio tells a story. After all, we've analyzed thousands. Some reflect diligence and fortitude. Others, a mishmash of overlapping investments. When Annex reviews your portfolio, we spot what works, what might not, and then provide unbiased suggestions free from sales commissions. Every portfolio tells a story. Let's work on yours. Investment, retirement, tax, and estate planning. As a fee-only fiduciary, that's our story. Head to AnnexWealth.com. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. When one spouse is older than the other, retirement plans can get complicated. Amy Bremer is a CFP and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management, and she's going to help us sort it out. Hey, Amy. Hi, Danny. Couples with significant differences in ages, 8 to 10 years or more, are likely to find themselves at odds when they're on the cusp of retirement decisions. And then throughout their golden years, 20% of second-time marriages are between couples 10 years apart or more. The vast majority of marriages, the woman is younger than the man. Every couple goes through stuff. But does this mean rougher waters for the couple? doesn't necessarily mean rougher waters. This may be a little bit more challenging than some other families. But it's definitely doable with some communication and some honest soul searching. Let's talk about making it work, Amy. The first step would be? Communication <laughs> and some honest soul searching. So it, it helps for me in practice if couples come to me knowing what they want their ideal retirement to look like. Maybe one spouse wants to go fishing and the other spouse wants to go traveling and visit with you know grandchildren and there's a mismatch there. It doesn't matter what ages you are, there's just a mismatch. The challenge with folks that have mismatches in ages is that you're parachuting together but you're landing at different zones. Yeah. Yeah, so one wants to land and go travel where the other needs to land and has 10 more years to work and that's what creates some challenges retirement and financial planning for couples with significant age gaps. The next thing is, is to save more and we all should, but why these couples? These couples have an extra challenge in that the life expectancy for each person is different and there's this age gap in the middle. So earlier you said that traditionally in these marriages, it's the woman who is the younger spouse. So let's just roll with that. So let's say the man is 10 years older and men have shorter life expectancies than women 
and then the woman is 10 years behind yeah, him yeah. and then she's going to have a longer life expectancy. So you need to plan for saving your, your nest egg for a longer period of time. So you need to save more overall than the average couple. We're with Amy Bremer, a CFP and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Our topic is financial and retirement planning for couples with age gaps of eight to 10 years or more. Next thing to plan for is? Distributions. How is that money gonna come out of your nest egg in retirement to fund your lifestyle? And in practice, I work with the three bucket analogy. You have a non-qualified bucket or like a brokerage bucket. Then you have your two qualified buckets, which would be a traditional 401k and a Roth 401k. By having diversification in each of those buckets allows you to control your taxes in retirement, more so with a couple that has a large age group between the two of them. If you got a gap in ages, obviously somebody's going to take social security before the younger spouse. They're going to maybe hit full retirement age way before the younger spouse. Mm -hmm. So it's really a timing issue, isn't it? Very much of a timing issue. And by having money in all three of those buckets, it allows you to take out your least taxed money first and control how much and when you're paying in taxes. Also, the strategy is to, what you alluded to, Danny, is to time your Social Security. At Annex here, we help people decide when to take their Social Security so they can maximize it based on their specific example. But since we're talking on the radio today, generally it may make sense for the higher of the earning two spouses to delay to age 70, get that maximum Social Security benefit, and that acts sort of like as a longevity insurance. And this is the whole planning aspect, which is what we do. Correct. Right. Financial and retirement planning for couples with significant age gaps. Got to be flexible. Flexible and lighthearted, I say, because sometimes financial planning can get a little bit morbid. We talk a lot about death. Yeah. Yeah. And it, which makes my job very complicated. If we all knew when we were going to pass, then it would be relatively easy. I wouldn't have a job. But, but you just keep lighthearted about maybe the younger spouse taking care of the older spouse later in age. Another recommendation that we give to folks is long term care insurance, maybe mm. for that younger spouse, because there's not going to be someone to left to take care of them if they don't have children. Not one of our clients' plans are the same because none of our clients are the same. We tailor it to your circumstances and help produce the retirement you desire. It all starts at AnnexWealth.com. Amy Brammer, CFP and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for joining us. Always my pleasure, Danny. You know, we talk a lot about our retirement plan services, but what exactly is that and what types of companies do we deal with? We're going to have some examples next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. Is there anything sweeter than the crisp sound of a driver when it connects purely with the ball? Many golfers evaluate the quality of their shot by the sound it makes. You may feel the same about your financial plan. Something doesn't seem, look, or sound right. Think of Annex Wealth Management as financial swing doctors. We'll give you the truly objective analysis that comes from a fee-only fiduciary with no products to push or commissions to chase. If you need help, talk to our pros. Get started at AnnexWealth.com. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management, joined by Tom Parks, Director of Retirement Plan Services, Annex Wealth Management. Hello, Tom. Hello, Danny. I got to apologize at the start of this segment. 
you and I were discussing retirement plan services department at Annex, and I just guessed the number of clients that you and the team handle. It was far lower than you and the team actually handled. Sorry about that. Danny, I take that as a compliment. I figure that means we're doing well with the resources we have, so thank you. You know, it makes sense. You guys have a department that's well-staffed, and that's how you provide that client service that you do. We talk about team all the time in Annex, and that's true. I have a great team on the 401k side, but we also work with the investment committee and the other wealth managers. So it truly is a team effort, and we're, we're fortunate to have the people we do. I thought it might be helpful to paint the picture as to the types of companies that we provide services for. And it is a wide range. So maybe there's a company owner or a CFO, an HR professional, or a small business leader listening that will hear a company like theirs and decide that Annex Wealth Management and the Retirement Plan Services would be a great tool in attracting and retaining talent because that's a big deal. It is for sure, regardless of the size of your company. So you're, you're spot on here. Here's another mistake I made. You said we've got a client that's a startup. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Like a, like a business in a garage kind of a startup, like, like the early Harley Davidson or Hewlett Packard, but no. Here's where you get into 401k vernacular. And when we talk about startup plans, we're talking about the plan starting up. So yes, there are startup companies. Sometimes they will also start up a 401k plan at the time they're starting the company, but very rarely does that happen. Really, when we're looking at startups, we're talking about companies that have been around for a while, they finally got their feet under them, starting to accumulate some employees, and they want to start offering benefits. So the plan is something that they are starting up after having had their business go for a while. How do we structure that in the early days? It's interesting, Danny. They're secure legislation and then Secure 2.0 really changed the way that startup plans operate. The purpose of those legislation, well, an element of that legislation, the purpose was to encourage more employers to start 401k plans to offer this benefit. So there are actually a lot of tax incentives and other financial incentives for smaller companies to start 401k plans. Education is what it's all about, Danny, because those people very involved in their business. They got a lot more important things to worry about than this. So we really act as a guide in helping them understand what they need to do, what they can do, and how to make it all happen. Good for the companies, ultimately good for the employees. Let's jump up to a medium-sized company. With Annex Wealth Management and the Retirement Plan Services world, what constitutes a medium-sized company? I love that you're asking this question, Danny, because when we look in our industry and people talk about this, they always focus on the asset size of the plan. And for us, the total assets of a plan are really not relevant. What's relevant is the employees. How many of them are there? Where are they located? You know, do you have 15 locations or do you only have the one? For us, a medium-sized company is somewhere in the 75 to 150-ish range. And that's what we look at. That's kind of our core group. We have more clients in that space than anyone. With more employees, does that expand the breadth of services? The breadth of services itself does not expand. It's really just a question of how do we deliver those across the employee population? If there are multiple locations, obviously that adds a dynamic than if there's only one. The other question is what do our clients want from us? We offer a lot of stuff, Danny, as you know. A lot of it is figuring out which combination of the services we offer is going to be right for the particular employee base. With Tom Parks, Director of Retirement Plan Services, Annex Wealth Management. So we work with companies at the startup level, medium-sized companies, large companies as well. Without naming names, how do you describe those large companies and how do we do that? When we look at large companies, I think in terms of companies that have the resources inside the company itself. So they'll have a full-fledged benefits department. There's going to be somebody at the company who really understands benefits overall, 401ks in particular. You're going to see 
investment committees, things like that. Just the manner in which we interact with those is different because they have resources that smaller and medium-sized companies don't have as much. So just we don't spend as much time on education and perspective because they already have that. Based on their experience, we really get into more of the specifics of how we're going to deliver our services both to them as a committee and to their employees. Yeah. So big or small, our goal is the same high-level service for a client that attracts and retains great employees because that's what we're after. It is, Danny. The employees, the participants, as we call them in our 401k speak, are really what the plan is all about. What we want to do is help our clients structure a plan that is going to help their employees maximize the benefit and then work with their team to help them take greatest advantage of that through technology, through one-on-one meetings. We do all of those things. Like I said before, it depends on from one client to the next, whether they prefer mostly in person, mostly online, some combination of the two. The nice thing about working at Annex is we can customize things for whatever our clients want. It's a lot of fun. You shared the following stats with me. I was blown away. 87% of employees feel retirement benefits are an important consideration when deciding to stay, stay with an employer. 75% of employees believe an employer has a great deal of responsibility to help them save for retirement. If you need to build up a retirement plan service, maybe you want a second look at what you got. What's the best way to get a hold of you? I recommend people check me out on LinkedIn. Always look at our YouTube channel to get a feel for how we communicate with people. Otherwise, check out AnnexWealth.com and get a hold of us. Tom Parks, Director of Retirement Plan Services, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Danny. At Annex Wealth Management, we believe every portfolio tells a story. After all, we've analyzed thousands. Some reflect diligence and fortitude, others, a mishmash of overlapping investments. When Annex reviews your portfolio, we spot what works, what might not, and then provide unbiased suggestions free from sales commissions. Every portfolio tells a story. Let's work on yours. Investment, retirement, tax, and estate planning. As a fee-only fiduciary, that's our story. Head to AnnexWealth.com. Back on Money Talk, time for Ask Annex. Got a question? You head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask tab. As always, if we can help, I know we can, click the Get Started button. Sarah Kyle's a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome. Hi, Danny. And we've got Matt Morris, the investment team manager. Welcome to you. Hey, Danny. First question today is, what's the best way to determine how much China exposure I have in my portfolio? And why do you think they ask that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's certainly been a lot of news about China, and it always is a hot button issue, especially politically as well, too. First of all, the answer probably is much less than you think you do. You know, overall, when you look at a global landscape of the total investable equity market, China only represents about 3% of that overall market. Even though their economy is a lot larger than that, it's not a really big part of the investable stock market, so probably a lot less. Also, most investors have a home country bias no matter where you live. And since we're here in the United States, we tend to overweight the U.S. versus other markets, so that 3% is probably even less. But if you really do want to calculate it for yourself, there's a couple ways you can do that. First is if you have software that can actually do it. So we do it internally here. Morningstar is a popular one. FactSet, Bloomberg have capabilities where they can take ETFs and mutual funds and actually go underneath the hood, see what they're holding at any point in time and calculate where that home country is of any of the stocks that are there. So Morningstar has what's called a
an x-ray. And so you're essentially x-raying that portfolio to see the underlying elements there. So that's one way. The other is manually. You could try to figure that out if you don't have access to software that can do that. Any mutual fund and ETF is going to have published holdings that they have. Now, ETFs update daily. Mutual funds, there's a delay to that. So it's it's not fresh data, but it's within the last month or two. But you can go on their websites and they're going to tell you holdings data of the individual stocks. They're also going to tell you probably, depending on the website, what the country representation is of that portfolio as well, too. Especially if you have something that's global or emerging market, they're really going to highlight the country allocation. Next up on Ask Annex, my dad had an account with, then he names the company, he passed away. I received a call from them about the inheritance from that. Guy was saying he needs to open up an account for me so he can give me my portion. Is that true? Or can I just have a check cut to me directly? Well, inheriting an investment account isn't just like inheriting a bank account where they will just cut you a check. In most cases, it means that you will first have to establish an investment account in your name before you can do anything with the assets. However, that exact process and options can vary based on the financial institution, the type of account, and the legal requirements of your jurisdiction. So one thing to note, if you are inheriting an IRA, you will be required to open up an inherited IRA in your name. And in most cases, we wouldn't recommend liquidating that account immediately because it will trigger a taxable event, and you will have to pay ordinary income tax on that amount you distributed. The IRS gives you those 10 years to liquidate an inherited IRA, so that allows you some financial planning, and it gives you the ability to control when you want to take the income and pay those taxes. But would the account need to be at the dad's old place? Typically, yes. Before they transfer it, they open up in their name. It's good for record keeping, and again, sometimes it's legally they have to do it that way, so it just depends on where you are. But that is not out of the ordinary where they have him open up an account in his name first. Ask Annex got a question. Head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask tab. Next up, what does it mean when a stock is under-owned? Supposedly, Apple and Tesla are under-owned. I wouldn't think they would be, but they are, Matt. (laughs) Yeah, good question. And it really relates to how much of the percentage of of an indice that that stock is going to represent, and then how much do people actually hold in their portfolio? Because those are are two really different things. Looking at the S&P 500, generally the most referred to indice that's out there. Apple's a little bit over 7% of that indice. Tesla's a little bit under 2%. So for it to be underground for the general public, they're holding less than 7% of Apple in their overall portfolio, less than the 2% for Tesla as well too. Going back to the question earlier on China, you can kind of figure out how much representation you have by looking at individual stocks you own, ETFs, mutual funds to see how much of them would own it. A lot of places it's hard to overown something like Tesla because it's a greater than a 7% weighting. And a lot of funds don't like to have large position sizes due to concentration risk. So it's hard to overown something like that, but you'll want to go ahead and dig into your portfolio to see where you are. And our final question on Ask Annex, if I was to increase contributions to either an invested HSA or my work 401k, is one better than the other? Well, they both are great. And of course, it all depends on your unique financial situation. The triple tax-free aspect of an HSA makes it more appealing from a tax standpoint. However, withdrawals can only be used for those qualified medical expenses. So sometimes that 401k is more flexible. If you have an employer that matches the 401k, my suggestion would be first to contribute enough to that 401k to get the employer match. Then I would max out the HSA and then continue with the 401k. But if you have immediate medical expenses or anticipate them, prioritizing that HSA might make sense. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager, part of Ask Annex. Thank you. You're welcome, Danny. Matt Morsey, Investment Team Manager. Thank you. Thank you.
You gave birth to the business. You grew the business. You nurtured the business. Is it time to sell the business? There are steps to selling a business, and we'll talk about that next. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. If you'd like an honest opinion of where you are financially and where you're headed, it's time for Wealth Metric. Don't ask why, ask why not. Unleash the power of what's next. Wealth Metric, powered by Annex Wealth Management. Click the Get Started button at AnnexWealth.com. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management, where we provide comprehensive investment and retirement planning tailored to our clients' needs. That ranges from starting people out on simple paths all the way to services designed for business executives and owners. With business owners, there comes a point when maybe it's time to put a plan into place to explore a sale, and that's what we're going to talk about here. Do that. Keith Butler joins me. He's a wealth manager and an attorney at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back. Great to be here, Danny. Selling a business is something that's a process, and certain steps need to be taken to maximize the opportunity for the owner. And it's not an overnight process. But how far in advance should planning begin in order to sell a business? Well, I think it's something that should be thought about all the way through the lifetime of the business. But I would say at least five years. Because that gives you time to get things cleaned up, if you will, to put a, a, a plan together. And right now, you know, today we're, we're not talking about a business succession plan to family members. We're talking about where you're trying to put it on the market for sale to the general public or to somebody in the industry, perhaps. But you want to plan in advance and get a team together. You've dealt with a lot of business owners over the years. The businesses, they're kind of like children to them, right? Very much so. And one thing that surprised me in a, in a very good way, I think, over the years is how deeply they care about it and the people that work for them in general. I saw many times in transactions where I represented both buyers and sellers, and you could tell that they really wanted to bend over backwards to make sure their people were protected. What yeah. kind of team should a business owner assemble on the way to a sale? Well, first of all, you, you need to have your attorney. And there might be a couple of attorneys to engage. The first would be a transactional attorney, you know, the person who can execute the transaction itself, negotiate the buy-sell agreement and so on, and also an estate planner because your assets will be transitioning from a business, which typically is the largest asset a, an individual has that dominates their balance sheet, into probably cash. And so now the, the makeup being different, that will affect your estate plan quite a bit. You'll, of course, want an accountant. Uh, you will ha- want to have an appraiser, someone who can provide an objective value of your company because sometimes people, they, they guess up so too high or too low. It happens all the time. A business broker may be engaged, someone who can go out into the market and find the best potential buyers for you. And, of course, you want a, a financial advisor because, again, you're converting a big asset that's not liquid into uh, liquid assets. Numbers are critical. They, they've got to be right. And these are things that can't be in a shoebox. They can't be on the back of an envelope. And it's something that, again, planning in advance, when we talked about how, how far in advance, I think probably the paper is the biggest thing, meaning that getting a clean balance sheet, getting financial records that really look clean, that wouldn't have some sort of liabilities that would bog down a new owner. You'd want to have a good lease in place. You may own the building. You may not. But if you don't, then having a good long-term lease in place gives some security to the buyer. So you'll want to get those financial records cleaned up, and a good accountant can really provide a lot of value along the way in that regard. 
Is it jumping too far ahead for anybody to announce that the company is going to go up for sale? I mean, you need to have everything in order, right? I mean, there, there are probably people out there who say, listen, Jimmy, you ever want to sell this place? You let me know, right? <laughs> right, right, right. You know, and uh, that's an interesting question. It's really fact dependent. You know, I talked to somebody very recently who was very concerned about announcing that because then all of a sudden, if your competitors know you're up for sale, they may see some some blood in the water. Uh-huh. But by the same token, getting the, the word out there may flush out some, some of the best potential buyers. Keith Butler is a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management with significant experience in assisting business owners in the process of selling their business. We're going through a checklist of proper steps in preparing the business for sale, determining the proper value of the business. We talked a little bit about that. You suggested having the accountant and the appraiser. They're the team that helps there. Absolutely. And some of the things that they'll look at is obviously the financial and tax records. You know, that's really important for having several year track record of that. Uh, They'll look at the inventory, inventory levels. You'll look at a detailed information on customers because we all want big customers, right? But that provides risk. So they'll want to take a good look at the reliability of the customer base and the size. And if you have a whole bunch of reliable, smaller customers, then you have a little less risk uh, losing a major contract. You'll also want to look at vendor contracts and leases. That's something that you want to make sure that there are things in place so that it's a favorable situation that a buyer is walking into. Licenses, liquor license if you're a, a um, restaurant or something like that would be really important. An intellectual property, is it? are there patents and trademarks that you have, that those have values as well. At what point will potential buyers be able to see this information? Typically, once they express interest, there's a confidentiality agreement that is signed. Once that's signed and negotiated, then the uh, seller would have the confidence that you can provide some of this information. Would the broker help kind of narrow down that field so you just don't have a bunch of tire kickers? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. A good broker will know the industry. They'll know who the real players are. That's part of the value that that they bring, right? There you go, right? You know, at Annex Wealth Management, financial planning and tax planning are incredibly important. And I would think anybody who has sold a business all of a sudden who might be looking at a very large sum of money Mm kind of needs to kind of walk through those steps. Absolutely. You know, a couple different ways of looking at it, because if you sell all at once, one closing, all the cash, then that can trigger a substantial capital gain bill, right? Or you could do an installment sale where you're paid over years and then that gain can be spread out. Now, obvious disadvantage to that is the possibility that uh, there's a default risk. Most people would want to get all their money in advance despite that, but that is something you'd want to look at and your accountant can provide guidance with that. And then how about a financial planning angle? Oh, absolutely. Because at that point in time, you've converted, again, the, the dominant asset of your balance sheet, if you will, into cash, investable assets. So that is something where you need risk tolerance and analyzed uh, time frames, timelines, what kind of, uh, uh, do you want to do some gifting to kids? Do you want to set up accounts for others? There's a whole lot of different planning. And that's something you may want to do in advance too, Danny, especially if there is a taxable estate tax situation. That's some planning you may want to do in advance where you can transfer some of that interest in that business perhaps to another generation on favorable terms. Because think about the blood, sweat, and tears that were poured into these businesses. It's important to follow these steps. Absolutely. Absolutely. Keith Butler, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for joining us. Oh, pleasure. Headlines, texts, emails, the TV, the computer, the phone, even your smartwatch. Every day, market volatility can lead to anxiety and planning paralysis. No surprise, Americans report being stressed about their investment and retirement plans. Turn down the media roar. Dial up the planning. 
Put Annex Wealth Management on your side for investment and retirement guidance that includes tax and estate planning. Head to AnnexWealth.com. Click the Get Started button. Know the difference with a fee-only fiduciary. That's Annex Wealth Management. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. Robert Chastain, Branch Director, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management, Southwest Florida. Before I go anywhere, did you have a game Friday night? I did. I had the inaugural game at Aubrey Rogers, the new high school. Wow. Okay. Well, Robert is an official in um, high school football. He keeps busy that way, plays a lot of pickleball. And, you know, Monday through Friday, he's uh, helping our clients at Annex Wealth Management. We can help get you over the retirement finish line, but we want to do more than that. We want you fulfilled in retirement. We want you to know the difference. It's clear finding meaning in retirement leads to happiness and health. That's what we're going to talk about. Robert, you've been doing this a while. In fact, you kind of have some firsthand knowledge about this. How important is purpose? Well, Danny, uh, you know, me and you have talked off the air about this. And, you know, if you don't have a purpose, a meaning, something that you're striving for, it can put you in a tailspin. And, you know, if you don't recognize that tailspin and try and pull yourself out of it, the worst thing in the world you could want for anyone. Okay, I've worked all these years. I've saved all this money. And this is it. Mm. That's it. Let's get into this topic and, you know, we'll come up with some ideas and some thoughts. We've talked about this before, about the importance of purpose in retirement, but I'm reading more about it. It's really starting to be a thing, isn't it? It sure is. You know, like what gets you up in the morning? Well, during your whole work career, oh my gosh, I have this on my calendar. I have that on my calendar. I meet this person for lunch. You have all these things that you have to accomplish five out of seven days. You get two days to yourself to figure it out. And I don't know anybody who said while they were working that a weekend was long enough. (laughs) So (laughs) it's just one of those things. Now it's flipped that you don't have all those work schedules and all the things that you have to attend to. It's your schedule. And some people really struggle putting that schedule together. We're with Robert Chastain, Branch Director, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management here in Southwest Florida. The importance of purpose in retirement, it's getting more attention. And Robert, you went through this yourself, right? You retired once, and as much as you know about this, you still found yourself not fulfilled. I fixed everything around the house. I All the little tasks that I wanted to get done, my dog got sick of walking, you know, my my kids were tired of me being around, you know, and it's just, I didn't have a sense of being, you know, that I was needed, you know, like you are needed when you have a job and you have, a, you know, deadlines to make. It kind of sent me into a little bit of a tailspin and um, I can thank uh, going back to work and finding some officiating stuff to pull me out of that. So I'm very thankful. Looking backwards now, what do you think people can do before retirement to at least help set them up for success and purpose for retirement? Here's one thing that, you know, just some thoughts. Maybe volunteer for a few causes while you are still working, just to see what makes you feel fulfilled or, you know, if they are interest. I mean, I really feel fulfilled refing. I love being around the kids, the teachers, the administration. I mean, we are treated really, really well by by all the kids and the administrative people. And it's kind of, you feel like you're giving back, you're allowing them. Without officials, they're not playing the games, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of nice to be involved. Kids are trying so hard. You see them working hard, you know, and and I talk to the kids. I don't just, you know, show up and I'm silent. So, you know, just get involved and get out there and get moving. 
And what happens if somebody is retired now and maybe they think they're in that rut? Is it any different than planning for it? Or, you know, what can be that kick in the pants that would, you know, kind of get them on the right course? First things first, hit the reset button. Get yourself moving, even if you're just walking every single morning. You know what? And when you run into somebody while you're walking, say, good morning. How are you? Just that alone. Somebody might just perk up. What, what, what was it? Friday. I was driving through a parking lot and I, I saw this elderly lady who had this amazing head of hair and she was on a walker. And I just rolled my window down and, and I thought, I wonder how long it took her to do all that hair. And I just said, you know what? You just look amazing today. And she looked at me like, wow. You know, and it's like, and I just said, have a great day. She smiled and off she went into uh, Whole Foods. So it's just, you know, it doesn't cost you anything, but just talk to other people, you know, and it's just, if you walk around in misery, then, you know, it kind of breeds misery. And when I was retired, I threw a pity party. I was the only one who showed up. And I was looking around, it's like, you know, this, is, this isn't this is going to work. I got to find something else. So hit that reset button, get out, get moving, get involved in your community. There are needs everywhere. And especially, even though hurricanes almost a year past us, there are many, many needs Southwest Florida for all kinds of people to get involved. I will take that to heart because these are things that I struggle with. Uh, Robert, before we let you go, how do we get a hold of you? Well, you can get a hold of me at 239-350-6363. And Danny, you can meet me at our brand new location on Tamiami Road, 4901, just south of Pine Ridge Road. That's going to be great. Yes, sir. That's going to be fantastic. Folks, Annex Wealth Management looks at your personal situation from every single angle. Nobody's plan is the same. Let's talk about yours. Best way to get things going, head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Danny. You know, there's a thing called the gray divorce. It's about what you think it is. We're going to talk about it, ways to avoid it, ways to get through it. That's coming up with Dan Phillips, our Director of Client Learning and Development at Annex Wealth Management. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. At Annex Wealth Management, we believe every portfolio tells a story. After all, we've analyzed thousands. Some reflect diligence and fortitude. Others, a mishmash of overlapping investments. When Annex reviews your portfolio, we spot what works, what might not, and then provide unbiased suggestions free from sales commissions. Every portfolio tells a story. Let's work on yours. Investment, retirement, tax, and estate planning. As a fee-only fiduciary, that's our story. Head to AnnexWealth.com. Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning Development, CFP and a CDFA, Certified Divorce Financial Analyst, is here. Welcome back. Hi, Danny. We've covered the topic of the gray divorce previously, and I wish we didn't have to, but let's do it again. Mm. We'll start at the top with a definition. Sure. So gray divorce is categorically those over the age of 50 years old. Over 60, they're referred to as silver splitters. While the divorce rate may statistically be going down, this particular demographic is on the rise, with over 25% of divorces being over the age of 50. Financially draining, emotionally harrowing, just Uh plain messy. Did it get better or worse during the pandemic? Well, the pandemic skewed a lot of numbers in the economy, and divorce was also one of them. We actually saw the rate of marriages and divorces drop by 12 percent in 20 and 21. But we're going to have to see how the numbers come up now coming out of COVID when the courts are flowing a little bit better and quicker. Sure. You know, we tend to think of retirement as a time of golden years together, but 
that isn't the case with the gray divorce. And one of the reasons couples divorce is retirement. Weird, right? They hit mm. retirement and find incompatibility, conflict. I know that during our discussion with clients and on our radio shows, we walk people through discussing expectations. You bet, because since older couples have potentially accumulated a more complex estate, the separation of assets does become trickier. This can even make it more difficult for someone on the cusp of retiring. Many times the financial duties are shared in a household couple. One will take care of the bill playing, the other will take care of the investments. And statistically, the women are the ones who don't understand their investments. They feel undereducated when it comes to their finances. And, you know, you add to that the emotional trauma around divorce, the gender gap wage and women's longevity. And this can all become a formula for financial distress. Now, let's face it, a lot of times you're going through it, you just want to get it over with, and that can lead to concessions that are later regretted, such as compounding expense issues, maybe by wanting to keep the family home when they can't financially afford it after divorce, or not even a good understanding of what their investments truly are, or their income stream is even going into the divorce, much less coming out of it. So it's important to understand the process of divorce, yes, but it's really important to have a good understanding of your inflows and outflows, both as a couple and after the divorce is finalized. If you're heading that way, and if it's inevitable, do you wait until the dust is settled or do you bolster up and get a financial plan going into it? Oh, I think you need to understand going into it. That's why a financial planner or certified divorce financial analyst can assist in laying out the financials and showing, again, the expense and income both before and after. The picture after becomes really important. And, you know, again, around the decisions of their biggest expense, which usually is their house, can I keep the house, becomes an important question there. And then what will I do for income after? So including social security options. So these are all things that need to be looked at. It's probably a thing for our estate planning team, but and it's all the estate plans oh, would yeah. need to be redone. Oh, yeah, like absolutely. Sure, sure. Beneficiary designations, all of that. Deanne, as a CDFA, a Certified Divorce Financial Analyst, you've walked clients through this quite a bit. What have you learned over the years in regard to at least the, the steps to take? Well, here are some basic steps to sidestep some common divorce issues. First off, yeah, have a copy of all your financial records as soon as you can going into this. And we're talking about bank records, tax returns, pensions, investment statements, pay stubs, any employment agreements or contracts, any awards like options through a company, and have a copy of your debts, loans, mortgages, bills. This can really save a lot of time and money of not having to potentially go through an expensive recovery process. And that's a legal process later when it comes to revealing income, assets, debts, and analyzing them. And you'll have to file all of this in the court anyway. Also, you should have an understanding, I mentioned before, of your Social Security benefits. If you were married for over 10 years and not remarried, you're entitled to half your spouse's benefit or 100% of yours, whatever's higher. And by the way, it does not take anything away from your ex. Doesn't matter if they remarry. This will not impact their benefit. And so it's not a negotiable asset in a divorce negotiation. You want to ensure the continuation of your own income. So if you're being awarded any kind of spousal support, be sure there's a disability insurance policy in place if the payer is still working or life insurance policy, right? So if something happens to them, you'll get continuation of payments, or at least you'll get what's due to you per the marital settlement agreement. 
It sounds super complex. Who walks with somebody on this? You know, if you come to Annex, we do have myself as a certified divorce financial analyst and CPAs and financial planners who are wealth managers who can sit and do some projections. We can take a look at where you currently are and where you may end up. Deanne, any last thoughts? Yeah. Finally, even if people are going through uh, the divorce themselves, it's called pro se, and they feel they have an amicable enough relationship to do it with a mediator, we always recommend using an attorney or you know, having someone advocate for you. There are so many considerations and having the right team at the time to ensure that you not only financially and emotionally survive the process, but helping you understand you could actually thrive after is so important. We walk through all of it, folks. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning as a fee-only fiduciary. Website, AnnexWealth.com. Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development, CFP and a CDFA, Certified Divorce Financial Analyst, talking about the gray divorce. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. At Annex Wealth Management, we put our money where our heart is. With the Annex Charitable Foundation, we strive to support the difference makers in local communities and organizations to help them succeed. That's part of the difference. Learn more at AnnexCharitableFoundation.org. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, the show available as a podcast at the top of the hour, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Danny Clayton. I'll join in the studio. Dr. Brian Jacobson, our chief economist at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome. Great to be here. You had a busy Friday. I saw a quote from you in Reuters on Friday and also saw you on Fox Business on Friday. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. You know, uh, Chair Powell was speaking out in Jackson Hole and I was able to give a little bit of a response to it in the media. So that's always a, a real honor to be able to do that. I'm paraphrasing your quote, but what was it? Was a lot of words with little. What was, what was <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, uh, there were a lot of words, but little was said. Uh, you know, it's um, is stark contrast to what he said last year. So last year, when he was in Jackson Hole, which is this giant economic symposium, bunch of central bankers and economists come together. They're talking about sort of big picture items. Last year, when he spoke, he really addressed his remarks. I thought to the general public, which was, hey inflation's a problem and we're going to do something about it and you're probably not going to like it. That was brief synopsis of last year. This year, it was a lot more boring. It was a lot more of what you would expect from an economic symposium. If you aren't really steeped in economics, you might have been like, what is he talking about? Last year, he said, we're not going to like it. And he was right. Yeah, yeah, they raised rates by a significant amount. And actually, one of the big changes was this year he was talking about being careful. Well, last year, it was about being forceful. So when he spoke last year, since then, they've increased their target for the federal funds rate about three full percentage points since that August meeting that they had. Now he's talking about we can be a bit more careful or actually a lot more careful about the path ahead because they've already done a lot. And so I thought that was actually somewhat refreshing to hear from him to substitute that word careful for forceful. When he says something, they parse those comments. So when he says careful, does what does that mean? Yeah, to me, it means that in if he's going to be careful, it means that they can afford to wait. They don't have to feel like they're on a treadmill. So if you've ever done cardio on like a treadmill or an elliptical, and I know that you and I like to work out, you know, you can kind of feel like it sets the pace for you where you just kind of have to go with it. Well, now it's almost as though they can moderate that. They can jump off of that treadmill if they want 
want to. And it sounds like that's their plan for at least the next month. The next meeting is September 19th to the 20th, and then they're going to have another one after that in November. Maybe they'll hike then, but they're going to get a lot of data between now and then. But it does sound like they're kind of jumping off that treadmill. So no foregone conclusions? That's correct. And I think a lot of people were kind of disappointed. They were thinking, hey, we want better forward guidance here. And the thing is, he just doesn't know what the data will be. So he can't really give good guidance. Have the leading economic indicators we've seen been misleading economic (laughs) indicators? That's a great way to put it. Yes, leading is misleading. And in fact, the leading economic indicators from the conference board have been saying about for the last year that we should be going into a recession. And yet, if you look at some of the coincident indicators and lagging indicators, it's suggesting that now things are looking pretty good unless you're in housing and manufacturing. But the housing data, new home sales especially, have really begun to rebound. And so maybe we could get a little stability with manufacturing. So if the Fed provides some stability with rates, we could get some healing when it comes to manufacturing. With what we thought was coming, was that kind of a dress rehearsal for what probably is going to come? It's inevitable, right? It it is, yes. So there is that difference between, hey, it's inevitable, but is it imminent? Is it coming right away? And Chair Powell did point out that he still does believe that there are legs to monetary policy. We haven't felt the full force of the rate hikes. It takes time for that to show up in the broader economy. You first see it in the interest rate sensitive areas like housing, durable goods, manufacturing, and it takes a long time for it to eventually show up in the labor market. So he is saying that, you know, we've already done a lot and there is likely a slowdown coming. It's just they're not quite sure as far as the magnitude or the timing. As far as our investment committee, the way we were preparing for this slowdown when it was going to happen, we just put that on hold, kind of put it on the shelf and and have it ready? Sure. It's one of those things where if you're anticipating a recession, what do you do? And one of the things is we try to stay diversified and actually broaden the diversification. Instead of taking concentrated bets on a cyclical rebound, we believe that it's more prudent to stay diversified and to stay patient with those allocations. Excellent stuff. Dr. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist, Annex Wealth Management. Thank you very much. Thank you. We are ready to help you take the steps toward the retirement you desire, and we'll guide you along the way. Even better, we're a fee-only fiduciary. AnnexWealth.com, click that Get Started button. We'll be back here next Sunday at noon. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. The Annex Wealth Management Show is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation.